Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, ladies and gentlemen, he is the reason that One-Eyed Willie only has one eye. He is the captain. It's our time down here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening, and thanks for telling a friend. Tonight, we are drinking Presumed Innocent IPA by the good, good folks at Legal Draft Beer Company. Garage grade three and three quarter bottle caps out of five. Presumed Innocent is brewed in the very exciting city of Arlington, Texas, just outside of Fort Worth. This is a very approachable IPA with a light haze and a good handful of hops. And tonight's beer was brought to us by these good garage friends. First up, a double-fisted cheers to Elizabeth and Becca up in Lansing, Michigan. And a big cheers to Heather, a Wisconsinite that's living in Florida. All right, and here's a shout-out to Andrew and Jessica in Massachusetts. And a big we like your jib to Brooke in Harrisburg, Arkansas. Next, we have Taylor, who served this great country overseas last year. She was stationed in Kuwait. Thank you, Taylor, for your service. And last but not least, we have Anne from upstate New York. Anne says the captain has the best mm-hmm in radio. And that's the fact, Jack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, everybody, go to truecrimegarage.com and check out our website. Mm-hmm. And a big happy birthday to the colonel. <sighs> the extra crispy colonel. The extra crispy colonel. Why is that? Because you were in Texas? That's just who I am. That's my personality. (laughs) All right. Cheers to you, Captain. Cheers to everybody out there. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Mary Rachel Trilica went by her middle name, Rachel. She was still in high school, but had been married to Thomas Trilica for six months. Her maiden name is Arnold. She is Caucasian with brown hair and greenish-blue eyes. She is left-handed and has a small scar on her chin. 
On the day in question, she had on her finger her wedding ring. She is Caucasian with brown hair and greenish-blue eyes. She is left-handed and has a small scar on her chin. On the day in question, she had on her finger her wedding ring. Lisa Renee Wilson also preferred to be called by her middle name. She is Caucasian with reddish-brown hair and brown eyes. Renee has a scar on her thigh, and on the day in question, she was wearing a ring with a single stone. Julie Ann Mosley was the smallest of the three at just four foot three inches tall. She is Caucasian with light brown hair, blue eyes, and has a small scar under the left eye and a scar on the middle of her forehead. On December 23, 1974, these three girls from three different families set out on a shopping trip to purchase Christmas gifts for their friends and family. They piled in the car and drove off to South Fort Worth, Texas. They were supposed to be home by 4 p.m., but they never returned. The Charlie Project has classified their disappearance as a non-family abduction. Rachel was 17 years old when she went missing, and Renee was 14 years old. Julianne was just nine at the time. The mystery surrounding their disappearance continues to confound law enforcement officials, while it haunts and tangles the lives of all the families involved. For some, time stopped on that December day. For others, the tragedy created a seedbed of suspicion that now divides. It is a constant grieving. To this day, this case remains a riddle with no answers. But it does not have to be. This is the story of the missing Fort Worth trio. Fort Worth, Texas, 1974. It's the holiday season. On the morning of December 23rd, 17-year-old Rachel Arnold Trelicka is driving to her friend's grandmother's house. The plan is to pick up her friend and spend the day doing some almost last-minute Christmas shopping. She arrives, greets her longtime friend. This is 14-year-old Renee Wilson. Now, Renee informs Rachel that they might have a tag-along going with them for the day. Little Julie Ann Mosley begged to go along. The older girl said that she would have to get permission. Julie Ann was only nine, and on that morning, she simply didn't want to spend the day alone with nothing to do, so she persuaded her mother to let her go with the two older girls. Rachel and Renee had been friends for years. Their families camped and fished together, but Rachel hadn't known Julie Ann Mosley, the little nine-year-old, at all. Now, Julianne and her family lived across the street from Renee's grandmother's house, where Renee stayed when her mother was away at work. Renee knew all of the Mosley children. In fact, Renee and Julianne's older brother, Terry, they were a bit of an item. That morning, Terry surprised Renee with a promise ring. Now, Terry was 15 years old with long brown hair, and he was asked to go shopping if he wanted to go on the shopping trip, but he said no because he was planning to go see a friend. He already had plans. So it would be just the three girls going out for the day. They needed to be done shopping and back at their houses by 4 p.m. because 
Renee and Terry planned to go to a Christmas party together that night. The girls set out just before noon. They first stopped at the Army Navy store. This was to retrieve some items. I, I've seen this reported several ways, Captain. A lot of times it says items. Uh, what I actually think happened here is she had a pair of jeans that she had previously purchased or put them on layaway. Remember layaway? Do they still do that? Mm, I don't think so. Well, she wanted to pick up this item. I believe it was a pair of jeans. So then they traveled to Seminary South Shopping Center. Uh, it sounds like this is one of the nicer malls in the area at that time. Not sure about today, but for those of you that live in the area, I believe the mall, well, I know that the mall is still there. I believe it was called the Fort Worth Town Center for a time, and nowadays it's called Le Grand Plaza. When they arrived at the shopping center, they parked the car on the upper parking level near the Sears store. So... There's some very interesting discussion and speculation that I found regarding this case on Reddit. Uh, um, not a lot of detail, and to be honest with you, Captain, some misinformation on there. But one of the discussions on yeah, there... You, you got to love Reddit. If you're a true crime fan, you got to love Reddit. Well, in, in, uh, here's, here's going to be the, the truth for everybody out there. I'm probably going to dog Reddit and Web Sleuths a little bit during this week because there's just a lot of bad information regarding this particular case. Mm -hmm. Other cases, there's been a lot of great information on. I love both of those websites. And so it, it hurts me. Mm -hmm. It hurts me deep inside to say badly about Reddit and web sleuths, well, but I have to in this case, because people listen to our show and then they go out armchair detective work on their own. Right. And I want them to know that that's a bad spot. Well, first of all, we should also say that because of Reddit, there have been leads that have been developed. And actually, in the Golden State Killer case, uh, I don't know if it was Reddit, but it was a forum that somebody gave the name of who they thought was the Golden State Killer like a year and a half before DNA confirmed it. Right. So these forums and these online armchair detectives, they're very important. Yeah, you called me six months or maybe a year before they solved the... Um Golden State Killer case, and you had said, hey, I have I found this on such, such and such, and somebody mentions the name D'Angelo. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa. And then, sure enough, it turns out to be D'Angelo. So we'll give them their pat on the back there. But the discussion that I found on there, one that I found fascinating and interesting um, was that there was a lot of conversation about, is there, is it weird the big age difference in these three girls? We have Rachel, who's 17, Renee, who's 14, and then Julianne, who's nine all together. And th this, I thought, would be something to get your opinion on. Do you think that this is weird given the age range of the three girls? It, you know, 17-year-old and nine-year-old, that's mm -hmm. the big gap. I mean, if somebody said to me, um, well, I mean, just take like my stepsons, for example, if they said to me, we're going to go shopping and we're taking this nine-year-old boy along, mm -hmm. I'd think, well, that's very nice of you right. because you probably don't want to be hanging out with a nine-year-old. Yeah, and the, the, the speculation that a lot of people were kind of going toward on there was that maybe Rachel, the 17-year-old, was up to no good. Like, okay, so we know this is a disappearance. We know this is a missing persons case. Mm -hmm. So 
she disappears and conveniently goes missing with two younger girls. And some people have wondered, well, was Rachel up to no good? Was she getting these younger girls for somebody else? And I think that when you dive further into what was actually going on that day, you will realize that the nine-year-old was just with them. The two older girls really didn't want the nine-year-old to go with them. Mm -hmm. In fact, what had happened was we mentioned that Renee, so Renee's the 14-year-old. Her boyfriend's Terry. Terry is the little nine-year-old's older brother. That's Renee's boyfriend. She asked, she asked Renee, you know, Renee asked Terry, Hey, you want to go shopping with us? He says, no, I already have plans. The little girl overhears this, right? Says, can I please go shopping with you? I mean, look, we've all been nine. You know, when you're nine and 10, you see teenagers and you're like, Oh, they're the coolest. Well, and it's also different too, because if that's her boyfriend's sister, she's probably spent time watching her. She's probably spent time with her. Right. And so, hey, you want your uh, significant other's family to like you. So, mm-hmm. you know, what's the best way to get her on your side? Take her shopping with you. Well, and Terry commented on this years later. And he says, look, the the two older girls didn't want my little sister to go with them. Right. But they were too nice to say no. So they kind of came up with a plan. And the plan was, well... We won't tell her no because we want to be nice, but you have to ask your mom for permission. And Terry says they did this on purpose because my mom always said no to everything. They just assumed that the answer would be no. Right. But for whatever reason, the mother says yes. And the mother would later say, look, I wish if I would have just said no, my whole life would have been different. And that's something I always look back and reflect on. And she said, but I couldn't say no. I knew these two girls as families. Right. You know, I knew their family, so I'm like, my my daughter will be safe traveling along with them. And also, it's your son's girlfriend, and you've spent time with her, and right. then you'd probably know that your daughter kind of looks up to her. And again, it's funny sometimes how people will take something so innocent and maybe meaningless and and speculate on it when it's simply these girls were nice and they were doing a nice thing for a younger girl. And as far as the 17 and 14 year old go, they were longtime friends. They had been friends for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not that big of a, right. Guy. Their families knew each other. And it, look, when I was 14, 15, if somebody, an older kid had a car, maybe I, even if I didn't like them, I went along cause they had a car, <laughs> but you know, so <laughs> you're a horrible person just to, just to squash that idea from the get go. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's nothing weird about the age difference here. The older girls really didn't want the nine year old tagging along, but they were just too nice to say no. So, We do have good reason here, Captain. We said that they parked the vehicle in the upper level near the Sears store. And we do have very good reason to believe that the trio made it to the shopping center, not just because the car was parked there on the upper level, but several people would later report having seen the three there shopping. Mm -hmm. So during the shopping portion, people that saw the three said nothing appeared out of the ordinary. None of the girls seemed distraught. And some gave a detailed description, which I believe solidifies the the sightings, the eyewitness accounts. So regarding the, uh, we, we briefly mentioned a description of each girl, but what we didn't mention was that Renee Wilson, the 14-year-old, mm-hmm. she was wearing red and white sneakers and a pale yellow green, uh, pale yellow slash green t-shirt with the word sweet 
honesty printed across the front. So the interesting thing Old here, sweet honesty, a few people specifically that did not know Renee, Rachel or Julianne, they said, I know I saw the three girls you're talking about because I saw that sweet honesty shirt. I remember the shirt. So because it's so bad. Well, apparently they must have made it back to the car at some point during this trip because mm-hmm. uh, purchases were found locked inside the vehicle. So what happened after that mm. is a big mystery. So four o'clock came and went. And okay, so, so let me just go through this a little slower, right? Mm-hmm. So we have a 17 and a 14-year-old. They're going to hang out. They're going to the mall. A nine-year-old, which is the 17-year-old's boyfriend's sister, mm-hmm. decides that she wants to go with them. So they say, cool. Right. So they go to the mall. They park. There's multiple entrances at malls, but they park at the Sears entrance so we think that they went into the mall going into the sears store they're in the mall for a time period enough where we have eyewitnesses that saw multiple eyewitnesses Mm -hmm. they go back to the car or we think so because there was purchases made that are in the car but we don't know where they went we don't know where they went and the car is found with the purchases inside and locked so the weird thing here, though, Captain, is that... Do we, we have a detailed report on what was found in the vehicle? So, from my understanding, there was at least one quote-unquote Christmas gift found inside the vehicle in the back seat. This was a uh, Oldsmobile, mm-hmm. so a car. Uh, in the trunk, locked in the trunk, was the pair of jeans that Rachel had picked up from the Army-Navy store. So... Th- what, were they the jeans that she was going to return or did she actually return the jeans and she got new jeans? No, no, no. This was a, a a pickup. Like So she had either previously purchased these jeans or they were on layaway, mm-hmm. something like that. And she picked them up that day before going to the shopping mall. Okay. So we have multiple items inside the vehicle to lead us to believe that they possibly made it back to the vehicle at some point. Um, now, that's not to say that they didn't go out to the vehicle, put some items in there, and then return to the shopping mall. Yeah, because that's not out of the norm. Sometimes when you're going shopping, you get a few items. You don't want to carry those around. Hey, let's run this back to the car real quick. Come back in and shop. So there are multiple reports stating that the um, the report of missing girls happened at 4 five and then some say 6 p.m. And I think the reason for the confusion is that the family spent a decent amount of time looking for the kids before they actually reported them missing. So the way that this goes down and this should have helped the investigation. Remember Renee, the 14 year old was -hmm. planning to attend a Christmas party later that day with her boyfriend, Terry. So she, she was adamant that she had to be home by 4 p.m. And that stuck in her mom's mind. And when they didn't return at four, well, the mom calls the other, you know, homes. Have they returned yet? No, they've not. So she takes her son, her son's like 11 at the time, and gets her husband and the three of them go to the shopping mall. Mm -hmm. And they assumed that the car probably broke down, that they ran into car trouble, right? So on the way to the mall, they're eyes peeled, looking both sides of the road, hoping to see this Oldsmobile and they'll get out and help the kids, right? Right, because remember, this is at a time period there's no cell phone, so they can't just call right, and say, hey, we broke down. You'd have to find a payphone or go to a gas station. 
So they don't see the vehicle on the way to the mall. And once they get to the mall, they drive around for some time still looking for the vehicle. Now, is there any web sleuth online that talk about the discrepancy between the the parents' age and their son's age and bringing him to the mall? The parents' age and the son's age. Yes. No, 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 no. Nobody found that to be weird. So the way that I understand this is, is this. So they spot the vehicle. They find the vehicle. The assumption was that the girls would then be, they're still inside the mall. Mm-hmm. They go in. So the, the mother, father, and brother of the middle girl, Renee, go into the mall and they are telling the store clerks at each store, hey, these three people are missing. Can you page them? So right. they make an announcement. Nobody shows up. They go to the next store. They do this until they go through all the stores. Mm-hmm. The girls are not at the mall. Okay. And so the father decides, hey, the father immediately thought something was very wrong, thought that they may have been abducted, mm-hmm. that there was foul play involved. At 6 p.m. is when they call and notify the police. Now, remember, they spent some time between 4 looking for the car and then looking for the girls. So right. I don't find anything weird with 4 to 6 o'clock. Mm-hmm. I think that's where there's the discrepancy in the reports. They went missing at 4, 5, or 6, whatever. The father gets the, his neighbor to join him. The police at first are, there's mixed reports on the police. The mm-hmm. families Let's would bring in the blue bloods. The families would tell you mm-hmm. that the police didn't seem to care. I think what, what we have here is this is 1974. They think that they are runaways or they're just out misbehaving. They're missed their curfew, whatever. Yeah. But isn't that kind of a common theme? And a lot of these stories, somebody goes missing and they're never found. The police didn't care. That's that. That's the normal statement from the family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Where it's like, I'm sure there's a lot of cases that somebody goes missing and is never found. And the police really did care. Well, the police would later state, and this is about five years later, they would later state that they sent a couple of officers to the mall and they did go store to store looking for the girls, just like the parents had done, mm-hmm. you know, earlier. But the father, he gets his neighbor and the two of them decide to stay on the rooftop of a nearby store that night and watch the car with guns. Mm. They're, they're on top of This is like that, that zombie movie. You this know? is what kind of father you want. Right. They, mm-hmm. He thinks something went wrong and he thinks that he, the car was the most troubling thing to this father. And so he sat there and he watched it that night. Now, nobody ever came back to the car and eventually they would take the car home. Mm -hmm. So one thing I always, I was pondering while researching this case is why is this case not more well known? What I mean by that is we have three missing people here. uh, All of them technically children. I know one of them was married, but she was still only 17. And just about everyone has heard of Mara Murray and Brian Schaefer, single missing adults. But I had not heard of this case, not Mm -hmm. until about six months ago. So sometimes I wonder, you know, why, why this case is kind of unknown and these other two are so popular. And I wonder if, is it, is it just the age of the case or the time period? I think that has something to do with it. And two, uh, the, the age of the individuals. I think when you think about the Brian Shaver case, um, there's a lot of males that could identify with that case being a college age student going out to a bar 
for a drink, you go missing. Or even in the Mara Murray case, young mm-hmm. college girl going through some tough times and decides to go somewhere to take a break, disappears from the face of the earth. Those, they're singular, but I think people can identify with them more. Well, with Mara Murray and Brian Schaefer, the other thing, you know, we had the internet when both of those cases took place and we, mm. we didn't for this case. And I also too think that What's this that? could be a, a case that many think is solved. You know, mm. that the girls came home at some point. We experienced that here in Columbus with the Brian Schaefer case. Some people just, they were aware of it at the time that he went missing. And then as years went by, you would talk to people and they're like, yeah, they found that guy. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, they did. They found no trace of him. Mm-hmm. Now, the other reason like I stated before, it, it's not um, more of a well-known case, maybe because 1974. So, of course, at first the police said the girls had simply run away. And we we won't see this type, you know, knee-jerk reaction by law enforcement change until the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Well, so, that's going to happen with, like, Adam Walsh's case. Yeah, so maybe some people heard that the girls or thought that the girls ran away, took off, and came back someday, and... It's just not that well known. Okay, so we do know that they went shopping, but these receipts would have some kind of time stamp on them. Um, I don't know that they found receipts. I, I looked and looked for that, and there I could find no mention of mm-hmm. receipts. But what time did they head to the mall again? They left um, Renee's grandmother's house around noon. Okay, so they're there for a couple hours. We have a bunch of eyewitnesses. The weird thing to me, though, is it's like the father had that hunch, the car. Mm-hmm. You put things back in the car, but if you're just going to run away, why wouldn't you take your car? Well, that and that's the thing. That's what they tried to tell the police. Like, okay, first of all, if we're if we're going to run away and that's the plan, why is this nine-year-old with us to begin with? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, from the outside looking in, some people could just say, well, she's collateral damage, or she, she was tagged along, or that was part of the plan all along. The, right, answer, but then the have- answer is no. She was not part of the plan all along. She mm-hmm. happened to end up with the girls, and the girls didn't want her there, really. Mm-hmm. And then furthermore, the parents keep pointing out, if they were planning to run away, why wouldn't they take their car? They obviously, You need transportation. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's, let's get over that fact and say, okay, maybe they parted ways with the car. Well, why would they spend their money? These girls didn't have a lot of money. Why did they spend their money on purchases that they could have just used for their time on the run. Right. And then the question is, what purchases did they make and were they gifts for somebody else? And if they if they bought a gift for their father or a gift for their mother, why would you buy that if you're planning to run away? The most specific and detailed report I could find about the vehicle was that one of the items found in the backseat of the car was a Christmas gift to somebody that was not that is not missing. Mm-hmm. And again, then somebody would say, well, that was to throw them off. But again, if you don't have a lot of money, you're not going to come up with a plan to buy a gift and throw them off, throw the law enforcement off and throw the family off the scent of you running away. Well, and let's talk about the investigation. Well, let's let's do that right after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. 
Millions of people pass go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. 
So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Captain. And happy birthday to the Colonel. Oh, thank you. On to the investigation. (laughs) Sounds so enthused. Well, as well as some things that were later learned. Mm -hmm. This is a weird case. Um, This case fascinates me, I tell you. Uh, We know that several people remember seeing them at the mall. So there's no question about that. Now, one woman. Wait, hold on. We know that they were seen at the mall, but on top of that, don't we have items that they purchased in the mall? That's unclear. That's unclear. So the the news articles out there state that a gift was found, a Christmas gift was found in the backseat of their vehicle. Mm -hmm. Other news articles state that uh, things that purchases made that day were found in the backseat of that car. But they don't say that they came from the mall. Right. Well, what I'm getting at is I I don't trust these news articles uh, mm-hmm. a lot of times, and so when I'm when I'm trying to be perfectly upfront and honest with everybody, I want it to be thrown out there that I can't say with 100 percent certainty that purchases made that day in the mall were found in the vehicle. What I can say is that the most detailed report says that a gift, a Christmas gift for another individual that was not that did not go missing, mm-hmm. was found in that vehicle. I don't know if it was purchased on that particular trip or if it was already in the vehicle for some reason. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, the jeans that were picked up from layaway from the army Navy store were found in the trunk of the car. Okay. Mm -hmm. But regardless, we know that they were at the mall that day. Okay. We have several eyewitnesses who saw them and were detailed about what they saw. They saw three girls together, that age group, um, with matching the description given of the girls and several people specifically saying, we saw the sweet honesty t-shirt. Oh, sweet honesty. Now we have one woman who told three different store clerks that she saw some men hustling girls. And she says the girls, which would mean she's indicating these three girls specifically mm-hmm. into a pickup truck. Now this story of course is of great interest to the police and they looked into this a lot. 
The problem is the woman did not give her name to any of these store clerks. Mm -hmm. The police never spoke to this woman directly, only to the store clerks. Mm -hmm. And they publicly asked for this woman to come forward. She never did. So this is probably a good lead, but it's going to go nowhere. Okay. Do we know how many boys there were in the pickup truck? No, the, 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 the tip says that she saw some men mm-hmm. hustling girls into a pickup truck, mm-hmm. pick up uh, these girls into a pickup truck. So I don't know how many that would mean other than some men. It's more than one. Um, then another witness says that the girls were spotted sitting in a security patrol car. Now in mm-hmm. 1981, So years after the disappearance, a man came forward and said that he had been in the parking lot that day and he had seen a man forcing a girl into a van. The man, he questioned the man what was going on and the man in the van told him it was a family dispute and to stay out of it. Mm. So. Okay, so we have, I mean, the truck is a little fishy. The tough thing about the truck, though, is this is back in the day when they don't have four-door trucks. So, you know, you're going to be riding in the back of that truck. The girls would be, right? No, not according to the eyewitness account. But the three girls would have been in the pickup truck with uh, a man. With a man. Yeah, so there's multiple reports about this pickup truck. Okay, so mm-hmm. one of them states that just simply says this is this is the the start and end of it. I saw the girls in a pickup truck. That's that's all the information that we have. Mm-hmm. There's another witness that states I saw the girls in a pickup truck with a with two other men in the pickup truck as well. Okay. First of all, we got a 17-year-old, 14-year-old, and 9-year-old and and a man. And if that's an adult male, that's going to be a tight squeeze. Now you mm-hmm. throw in another adult male, we'll have fun with that one. You're probably not going to fit so well. Now, you could have the little half seats in the back. Possible. Mm-hmm. Toss the nine-year-old in the back, maybe the 14-year-old, and then uh, the 17. But they the did. Two, two guys sit up front. They did have what we would call, refer to as an extended cab trucks back then. So they weren't called trucks. That's what I said. That you, you have the little tiny half seats in the back. No, we um, have. There were full-size cabs back then. With vehicles for, for like, they weren't called trucks, technically called a pickup truck back then. Mm-hmm. And we have this witness stating that it was a pickup truck. So maybe I'm going down the wrong path here, but I do know from other cases that we've covered that in the early seventies, there were, no, I understand that you have Broncos and stuff like that. And it's just like, there were vehicles that I would describe as a truck that has a full cab that has, you know, multiple four doors, mm-hmm. uh, full size seats throughout. Uh, the front and the back of that cab. Right. And who knows what she calls a truck and what she calls a pickup truck. And we just won't know because she never came forward. So all in all, Captain, we have about five reports, eyewitness reports that we can trace back uh, to that day. And then as late as 1981, the interesting thing here is there are some similarities within these five different stories. There's also some obvious differences. We have the mention of the security car, the pickup truck, uh, a van, and then we have stories of either multiple men or a single individual male. 
The interesting thing here is like what you just pointed out. These accounts would only end up raising more questions than providing answers to any of us. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to wonder, did the girls leave with someone that they knew? Did, did they split up for some reason? You know, did, did the middle one go off elsewhere and so on and so forth? And the other thing you have to wonder too, is if this is an abduction, who was the target? Was it the oldest girl, the youngest girl, or just all three in general? You know, after the disappearance, uh, the families worked very hard to try to find these girls and they, they walked Creek beds. They walked country roads looking for their missing, uh, sisters and children, uh, psychics and pranksters called the houses of all three girls. Mm-hmm. And they called the police department as well. The psychics obviously trying to offer some tips. Now, private investigators were hired and looked into the case throughout the years. The police chased a hundred or more empty leads back to the eyewitness accounts of the possible abduction. So all three, what I would say here though, what is consistent throughout most of these eyewitness accounts is I would be, I would believe that they're all describing somewhat of an abduction. The problem is only one of them suggests that a girl is being forced to do something. Yeah. And that, that's the one that I would want the details of the vehicle more so than the others, because I think you have to think about the, who is going to be, you have to be pretty damn ballsy to take the risk of trying to abduct three individuals at a mall. Right. I think just that, just the scenario itself makes people want to lean towards the fact that maybe these girls knew this individual or knew these individuals or had reason to trust the person for some reason. So maybe, maybe so, but then on the other hand, so you have one side, maybe knew them, maybe had some reason to trust them. Maybe there was some con. Hey, I take pictures for Teen Magazine. You guys should we want to be in Teen Magazine? Hell yeah, we want to be in Teen Magazine. All right, jump in my truck. We're just going to go down to my studio. It's just right down the street. We'll take a couple pictures. You'll be back in a jiff. Mhm. You know, or Hey, I'll pay you a thousand dollars. Well, the easiest con to me would involve the security car, the patrol car, right? Because we have, is that security car for real or is it just fictitious or is it real, but it's from a different location and this guy's just a creep using it to, Hey, uh, I need to question you girls for a second. What do we do? Officer get in the back of my car. Right. You know, right. I mean, 17, 14, nine, you're probably gone. Yeah, because you think that's just part of the deal. It's just the way that this goes down. You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago with the Oakland County child killer. Yeah, or you could be like MGK. You could get in their face and say, F you pig. Well, regarding (laughs) regarding this, so what I'm getting at here is we have three teenage girls. We've already said that they didn't have much money. What if the nine-year-old or the 14-year-old decided to pocket something? or even the 17-year-old, decided mm-hmm. to pocket something and, and was spotted by a real-life security guard inside that mall and thought, well, I got three young girls in my car all to myself. Here's my opportunity. I'm going to take advantage. Or, like you said, do we have a Ted Bundy situation where we have somebody posing to be a security officer that works at that mall? 
you know, driving around in the parking lot looking for younger females who are not accompanied by a male or somebody they would consider to be adults and pull up on them and say, Hey, I know you did this. I saw you do this. And like you said, get in the back of my car. Yeah. Or do we have a Jeffrey Dahmer situation where you're going around the mall and tracking people and you're going to try to abduct them in the mall? Well, and, and the interesting thing here about the idea of being conned or tricked by somebody, it does go along with what the, um, the majority of the eyewitness accounts are. And that is that most of these accounts don't say that the girls were being forced to do anything, that they, they were going along willingly or even sitting in the vehicle and appeared to be happy or smiling. So the, right, right. But that's what I'm saying is you can offer the world to somebody if you know that you never have to pay it up. Well, and then I know what some people are asking too, is that they're saying, Hey, Nick, these are conflicting eyewitness accounts that they, they don't line up with one another. Why would you think that maybe these girls were tricked or conned and go with what you said seems to be what's going on in the majority of these eyewitness accounts. There's a part of me that wonders captain, if maybe they're not, conflicting at all did the eyewitness one did the eyewitness get something wrong or two are these small portions of a much larger story that an eyewitness only sees a small portion of the story reports what they see and then there's a larger story going on and these might possibly could be all little pieces of this bigger story yeah yeah and i i think the biggest one though is the man that says he sees uh, a guy forcing a girl into a van and he actually asked the man mm-hmm. because this is 74. I mean, even in the eighties, uh, I don't know if you ever remember, but like there was a couple of times like you'd go to the store and a kid would get out of line and the parents would just smack the shit out of their kids. Like, right. Well, yeah. And the threat was always, uh, you know, I'm going to take you to, don't make me take you to the restroom. Don't make me take you out to the car was right, an right, often right. one. Don't make me, mm-hmm. cause you're not going to slap your kid in the middle of the store. You take him out to the car and spank him there. Yeah. Or it'd be like, just wait till your dad gets home with his belt. And you're like, what, why does he need to use the belt? Well, and that's why I reference who was the target. No, but that's, but let me finish this point. First, Sorry. Is that that happened. You would see kids get spanked. Right there, then and there. Right. It wasn't always, let's go to the restroom. It wasn't always, let's go to the car. And for somebody to speak up on something, there had to be a little bit more of a struggle. You see what I'm saying? Right. Like, it wasn't just like, oh, this girl's not cooperating getting into the vehicle. This was a struggle. And the guy actually said something. Well, I think you're making two points there. One being that... It was, it was something that, that, that was brought to his attention so much so that he felt he needed to say something. One vicious enough. Yes. But two things like this were commonplace enough that when told, Hey, this is just a family thing. You need to stay out of it. He does stay out of it. And in fact, he doesn't report the issue until five years later. Right. Till five years later. So, but then, but then you have to, then here's the problem though with all these eyewitness accounts. I mean, this guy's coming five years later. Mm-hmm. Did this happen on the day the girls went missing? 
Right. Did this happen six months after the girls went missing? We don't know. I, I have a really hard time believing any eyewitness story that comes forth five years later. Unless they said, I know this happened then, and I thought about it for five years, and then I came forward. But a lot of these eyewitnesses that come forward five years later, they it's almost like, I saw something on Dateline, and then that sparked my interest, and I thought, oh, yeah, I was at that mall one time. Oh, yeah, that's where that girl was trying to get in the van. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then they're calling the law enforcement. Oh, I saw something. And they don't even know when they saw it or when they did it. Well, so. yeah, I, I have a hard time trusting something that comes out five, six years later. I also have a hard time trusting something where uh, the police call for, uh, make a call to action for you to come forward. Hey, we need to speak with you directly. We heard what you reported to the store clerks. We need to speak with you directly. And then that woman never, never makes her presence known. She never comes forward and talks to, talks to the police. Mm -hmm. So as far as we know, what's been reported publicly. Now we had said that the police said at first that the girls simply ran away. We also said that the parents protested this thought and they did not agree with this, but it doesn't make any sense though. I mean, I mean, I know it's 74, but it's like, come on, (laughs) where's your evidence of this? I mean, I understand that they went to the mall. uh, They didn't go back to their car. We have their car. They disappeared into thin air. So, therefore, they ran away. Come on. 17, 14, and 19-year-old. Well, And if the 14 and the 17-year-old were planning to run away. So, the day that they're planning to run away, they would have done everything in their power to have the 9-year-old not go with them. It wasn't like they're like, you know what? We're going to be on the run for a while. And uh, we might need some extra food. So, let's take this 9-year-old along. You know, because if we run out of food, we can use her. It's not, I mean, it makes zero sense. Well, as if to back up the police's theory, a letter arrived the next morning. It was addressed to Rachel's husband. Wait, hold on. When, when did the letter arrive? The next morning. At the day after they went missing. Correct. So they went, they disappeared on the afternoon or evening of the 23rd and on the 24th, a letter arrives to Rachel's husband. Question, and I don't know if you know this, but did the police come out and state this the first night at all? Like, we think we're leaning towards runaway. Do we have any? No, I think that would just be something they told the, the parents. Mm-hmm. So um, the letter was addressed to Rachel's husband. The strange thing, though, that would be noticed right away is the name on the envelope was a formal addressing. It was addressed to Thomas a Trillica and Rachel called her husband, Tommy. Rachel was scrawled in the upper left hand corner of the envelope as to imply that the letter inside was from Rachel. There was no return address. There was no city name on the postmark, only a blurred postal service number and it says seven six zero eight three now the number three appears to be backward which is strange Mm -hmm. inside thomas found a letter the letter was on a sheet of paper that was wider than the envelope that it was sent in written in what has been described as a childish scrawl the letter read well it's cursive yeah okay but i (laughs) 
has been described as a childish scrawl. The letter read, I know I'm going to catch it, but we just had to get away. We are going to Houston. See you in about a week. The car is in Sears upper lot. Love Rachel. The L on Rachel's name was a short loop that looked more like an E. The, the writer apparently had gone back over this, making it a taller loop to make sure that it looked like an L. Now, again, that's speculation. Correct. Um, but if you, if you zoom in there, Captain, you can see that there's a small loop off to the right of her name on the bottom of the page. Um, and you would have to pick up your pencil to make the other loop. Yeah, but this is not the best penmanship anyways. Right. So so I think that should have to come into play. And we'll post this um, letter on our website, truecrimegarage.com. We'll also post it on all the social media platforms so you can take a look at what we're seeing. Thomas says that he, he picked the letter up out of the mailbox himself. He says he believes that the letter was sealed, but can't say for certain. He doesn't remember anything else in the mailbox that day. There were no Christmas cards, no flyers, no bills, just this letter. We'll start off with the first point you're making, though. Uh, She called him Tommy. Correct. And she addresses him Thomas. Well, the, the whoever wrote the letter or mm-hmm. wrote the envelope addresses it Thomas A. Trillica. I don't find that that odd. Right. Right. Okay. I mean, just like, you know, the only reason why is because it's a letter. And right. It's like, well, and it's the envelope. It's not like it says, dear Thomas A. Trillica inside. inside it's it's right. the envelope. Right. And then you might know that everything that goes to his house is addressed this way. So you'd address it the same way. Now, we do know that the the car was found the day before exactly where it said it would be found in this letter. Right. Um, The interesting thing here, the 10 cent stamp had been canceled that morning. So it appears that this would have been, it would have had to been mailed either the night before or the morning of the date of delivery, which is December 24th, 1974. Now, a lot of people have suggested early on in this case that one, it, it states, Hey, we had to get away and it's written supposedly signed by a person that's missing part of the group. So right. they say that that backs up the runaway theory. Then there's other people that state there's no way it could have been delivered in that short period of time. So it must've been wrote in advance and mailed in advance prior to having taken off. Hmm. Um, I think law enforcement confirmed later that that was not the case, that it was very possible and even likely that it would have been dropped in a box somewhere on the 23rd Mm -hmm. or the morning of the, as late as the morning of the 24th. Right. So either the day they went missing or the next morning. Yeah. So you said Rachel called her husband. Tommy. But this is, is this technically her husband? Yes. At 17? Yes. So they've been married for six months by the time that she had disappeared. Okay, so it was the 14-year-old that got the promise ring. From her boyfriend, Terry, who's okay. 15. Okay, that's that's where I was confused. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> They're married and he's given her a promise ring? 
hey, we're I know we're married, but hey, I promise to promise to love you. Well, let's talk about the L. Uh, originally, in my opinion, looking like an E. Um, now look, okay, it's the not the Rachel that is on the outside of the letter. It's on the inside, so it's the yeah, bottom, so on, bottom on on the letter itself, not on mm-hmm. the envelope. Um, like I said, it appears to most. Uh, what I can gather, most people seem to believe that it looks as if somebody wrote an, a cursive E at first and then went back over top of it, making it a cursive L at the end of her name, Rachel. Personally, I do believe this. I've looked at it quite a bit, and I think that it appears that I don't know why somebody would go back over it and make it look like an E if they already wrote an L. So the only thing that makes sense to me is that somebody either uh, missed a step in their signing of the name or they put an E there first and went back over it to correct it, to make it an L. The thing that's strange about that for me is look, I've misspelled a lot of words in my day, mm-hmm. right? I don't recall ever misspelling my name at any point. And you know, Nick Nicholas, I go by Nick 99% of the time, 1% of the time I go by Nicholas. And even when I have to pull that up and do it on the quick, I never, misspell or miswrite my name you know mm-hmm. so that seems very strange to me meaning what i think is it was written by somebody other than rachel the other thing that i find to the, be weird right. is that out of the three girls that go missing the middle girl's name is renee mm-hmm. well her name would end with two e's rachel's name ends with el Mm-hmm. And somebody having just learned the name of their three captive girls that they have with them could have made that slip in that process and then corrected it. Yeah. Or it could be Renee writing the note and her messing up kind of going into her own name Mm -hmm. there. So that's a possibility. But also when you look at the actual letter part, it's very jumbled up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Things are a little too close. Um, There's, there's miss. The the problem is, is, you know, if we're going to say this L slash E at the end of Rachel is this big, huge mistake. And this is a tell. Well, you can look through the letter and find a bunch of mistakes anyways. I mean, when you say, um, had to get away, uh, we're going to Houston going to catch. There's like a, a out of nowhere up here. So I don't know what that's from. Uh, it's above the we're going to Houston and then see you. That looks to me as the, if they almost put three E's and see, mm-hmm. see you in about a week. Um, so, um, and then the way they like, here's okay. Okay. If you look at week and you look at C that would make me think you're correct on the mess up mm-hmm. because you see how they connect the E's together. Very rounded at the bottom. Same thing happens in Rachel. So before where I didn't see the mess up, if you look at week and you put it by Rachel, they're going into their little loop loopy E's. Mm-hmm. So that's, that is pretty interesting, but it's just, again, it's jumbled. So then it makes you wonder wonder uh if this was like written and mailed out before before they went to the mall 
why not take a little more time to write it out? Right. This seems pretty rushed. Um, I feel like the the letters are feminine more so than, you know, like the, this is probably written by a female. I don't see that personally. But the thing, the things that I find weird in this are, look, we have Rachel's mother, Fran Langston. She never believed that this letter came from her daughter, Rachel. Um, and then we have Tommy, her husband, who agrees. And even in a recent interview, says, quote, I never thought it came from Rachel. Right. So do we have Renee's mom saying that this could be her handwriting? That's 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 interesting that you bring that up because that's not an angle that I thought of. And we don't have any. All you have to figure out is these loopy E's. That's a dead giveaway. Some Somebody else does these loopy E's. You see it in C, you see it in weak, and I guarantee somebody knows somebody that does that. Well, according to law enforcement, we have mixed reviews. So at first, where they believe that the letter is from Rachel's claiming, you know, backing up their thought that the girls had run away. Mm -hmm. uh, later, we have law enforcement say, stating that we gave this letter as well as other uh, documents and letters that we collected from Rachel's belongings. And we sent all of them to the FBI. What we get back is that the tests are inconclusive, that they can't, the FBI cannot say with 100% certainty that Rachel did not write this letter. They cannot say with 100% certainty that she did write this letter. Mm -hmm. um, but the weird thing to me that, that really stood out to me is one, like I said, I've never misspelled my own name. But what can we gather? Yet. What can we gather from this note? There are things that we can say for certain that that are our certainties regarding the information that's on the envelope and within the letter itself. One that we can say with the certainty is either the 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 author of this letter either knew Rachel or abducted her and then got information from her. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is. Look, if, if, if she was abducted and she had her driver's license on her, it might have that address. She's only been married for six months. Let's say it does have that address on her driver's license. Well, that you can send the letter that way. What's not going to be on her driver's license is the proper spelling of her husband's name. Mm -hmm. Okay? So either this individual that wrote the letter knew Rachel, knew, knew information, personal information about her, or got that information directly from her as she was being held captive. Yeah, or if you have the address, there's probably a way that they could look that up. But it seems like you'd have to know more to be able to say, I, I, I don't understand what the motive for writing the letter would be if you captured. It's to buy time. It's to buy time to, to, to let the loved ones and let law enforcement think that I, because look, they they specifically point uh, they point to a large city, right? But you're going, gonna, you're going gonna, to Houston. Well, mm -hmm. that's difficult. It's not like they're saying went to take off to Houston. Went to went to Grove City where there's you know thirty thousand people, or I don't even know how many people live here these days. But you pick a city like Houston. You know, went to New York City. Well, that's a there's a lot of people that visit my city. Thank you very much. No, I know that, but we have some brewer, breweries now. We have some great craft bars craft 
beer bars. Right, but regardless of how fancy your city is, if you are an abductor mm-hmm. and you want to buy time, mm-hmm. you're going to say, hey, we took off, had to get away for a while, went to a big city. You're not going to mention a little city. And then on top of that, they put a time period in there. See you in about a week. Mm-hmm. Obvious to me that whoever wrote this letter is trying to buy a week's worth of time. But hold on a second. So you send the letter just to one person thinking that, well, since Rachel was seen with these two other girls that Thomas is going to let everybody know. Is that the idea? Because I think if that was the idea to buy time, like, and and you're having these girls write the letters for you anyways, why not just write three letters? No, I get, I get what you're saying. You know? And and then every family gets a thing going, hey, we're going to Houston. We'll see you in about a week. Right? So I, I don't know. It's uh, it's very strange. I mean, I get your point. Yes, it could buy you time. But to me, then everybody else is going, well, where's the other two girls? Why are they gone? And, why, and then why would Rachel take? But the letter speaks to that. It says, we had to get away. With the nine-year-old that you never hung out with. that You know what I mean? It's not supposed to make sense. Right, but what I'm saying is it's... You just said that it's to buy time. Well, well you, asked, you asked why would anybody cap- take these girls captive and then send a letter. And that's the only reason I can think of. No, right, which I understand. But what I'm saying is because the letter doesn't make any sense that it's it's a red flag. You know what I mean? It's like... All it does is add another red flag is what I'm saying. Like girls are missing. If you think that you're going to send this letter and it's going to ease everybody's mind and stop looking for them. To me, this is like, oh shit, something bad happened. Oh, I see what you're you saying. See what I'm saying like when I'm getting the letter, I'm not just all of a sudden going to be at ease. Cause I got this letter. I'm going to go, this makes zero sense. Now I'm more heightened. I'm now more worried mm-hmm. as a, as opposed to just, well, maybe there's some, because it is 74. There's a, if, if, if they went back to their car, maybe the car didn't start. Maybe people didn't check that. Like you start going through all these things. Did they just go to get something to eat or did they just go here? Or maybe they're at somebody's house, right? Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, we can't find them right now, but maybe they just stayed out too late and then they decided to go back to Renee's house or, you know what I mean? You get this letter the next day going, we went to Houston. That's what I'm saying. It's the next day of going, oh shit, there's something really wrong here. Well, and I think that's why you have a discrepancy between the way that the family remembers this case and the way that law enforcement remember this case. Okay, so you might have law enforcement stating, well, and we do know that they said that. Look. We thought they ran away. Here's this letter saying that they ran away. Mm -hmm. And then you have the families saying all along, we never believed this letter came from Rachel. And -hmm. we try to tell the police that. So that's why you have that. And keep in mind too, does it make any sense to send a letter? Is that the best idea that you can come up with after you abduct uh, three children? Mm -hmm. It's what I mean by it's not supposed to make sense is it doesn't make sense to abduct three children. That's Mm -hmm. not what normal people do. So there is no normal once you've committed that act. 
And this might just be a knee-jerk reaction to try to throw somebody off the scent, to buy yourself some time. Maybe it's a panic. Maybe it's a panic move. Mm -hmm. But the regardless of whatever it is or the reasoning behind it, it's a clue. Whether it came from Rachel, whether it came wh whether she was forced to write it, whether she wrote it of her own free will, or if somebody else wrote it for her, pretending to be her. Regardless, it's a clue. And the other thing that makes me think that Rachel did not write this letter was I tried to, over and over again, I tried to recreate the way that the R looks in her name signed on the letter. And it looks to me to be a very, it's not a smooth motion to make that R. That is a, is a weird R. I couldn't see somebody that's probably signed her name a thousand times by the time that she was 17 having that weird looking R and to have to contort her hand and pick it, pick the pen up off of the paper, maybe even more than once, uh, twice to get that R written. It just doesn't seem like a natural motion to me. Well, that really blows my theory on the idea that it was Renee that wrote the letter. She was probably forced to write that letter by somebody, but it would be her because that would make, that would be the only reason why we'd be tossing a double E at the end. The reason why I say that is because somebody that has a double E at the end of their name, what becomes second nature to you? Because you sign your name so much, double E's, right? They become second nature to you. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at the E's and weak, and you look at the E's and C, it's almost like second nature, double E. Now, I almost think that if, if uh, abductor or somebody involved with the abductor was writing this out, there's a chance that they could have just made a quick slip of the mind. And we have two, two victims, Rachel and Renee and Oh, brain fart slip of the hand and, and wrote two E's there on accident. Now, more importantly, I think is what about that weird postal code? So there's no city name on the postmark, only the post service number seven, six, zero, eight, three with the three backwards. Here's the speculation. Maybe the person who stamped it was a little light on the right-hand side of the stamp, and it's not a backwards three, but it's an unfinished eight. Mm -hmm. I think that this would make sense because this would make the postal code from where the letter was mailed as 76088. So if that were the, the intended postal code or the correct postal code, mm -hmm. Uh, the letter would have come from somewhere in Weatherford, Texas. Weatherford is about 35 to 40, uh, 35 to 40 minute drive from the center of Fort Worth. Now we have another thought though, perhaps as private investigator, Dan James believes the last two digits of the stamp were hand loaded and put in the wrong way. So it is supposed to be three, eight, if it is 38 or 38, then it may have been stamped in Eliza. I'm sorry, Elizaville, which is a little further away. This is a two hour drive east of Fort Worth, still in the great state of Texas. Captain, do you have a preference or, or a theory as to whether you believe it's supposed to be a 38, like Dan James says, or supposed to be an 88 at the end of the postal code? No, I think all it really proves is that it came from somewhere else. You mm -hmm. know, it came from either somebody half a, half an hour away or an hour away. Again, that 
to me leads more to abduction than these girls running away. And so, again, I, this letter in general doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I have a strong preference on which I think is correct. So I like the 76088 Weatherford Postal Code. And what I mean by that is that I think it's easier for me to believe that the stamp was just not applied all of the way. This would be a very and more common mistake, I would have to believe. The the postal code being loaded wrong seems to me like a very, like a stretch, like it's a, it's a reach for me. And what I mean by that is it's a postal code. You, you load your stamp once, okay? If... If you hand loaded that and you loaded it incorrectly, mm-hmm. then you would think that this would not be the only letter that has this code wrong. Now, well, it is the only letter that's being examined in such a way that people would notice this. It's, it's, there's a chance that it was never noticed, or what that the guy did, the guy or girl did it once and corrected themselves, and, and it was forever fixed. Well, You're, or again. That's if you're believing that the post office is stamping this code. I mean, it's possible that um, the abductor would be able to. Would have a postal code stamp, an official. I'm just saying it's possible. It's not and impossible. So, I so, agree. So then that leads you to believe if it was somebody doing that, they're changing that number to throw you off for whatever reason. Right. So. But it th- sounds like the dumbest crime, but it's like, man, if you could get your hands on one of those, you're not paying for postage. Well, but he- here's here's the reason why I like seven six zero eight eight better than that it was loaded wrong. Mm-hmm. Not only because I think this would be a more common issue. I mean, to this day, man, I get letters that the the stamp is only halfway on there or partially on there. They stamp hundreds and thousands of these things, maybe even daily. This has got to be a common issue. The other thing, too, is if you load a stamp wrong, how many times are you loading the postal code of a stamp that you're using every day? Guess what? If you load it correctly, you only load it once maybe in your entire career. It's not like you're loading a date stamp where you change it every day when you come into work because you have to put a new date, today's current date, on the item that you're stamping. Unless you're responsible for multiple locations and then you have to stamps you know i gotta stamp all these once i'm done i change stamp all these then once i'm done with that pile change again unless that's your job i mean i don't know i never worked for the post office gotcha but but my belief is that this would be a, a mistake that more likely leans to the fact of being just not applied fully mm-hmm it's, it's weird, though. It's, but, it's strange. But, well, it's strange, but I think also at the end of the day, whether the the abductor is changing this themselves, whether it's just a mistake, maybe they're having the person change it, who knows, but chances are they're dropping off. If they didn't change it, they're dropping off in a postal co- code to throw you off of something, is what my belief would be. You know, they're not going to, you know, abduct you in Columbus, Ohio, and then send, you know, go down to the local post office and go, Hey, can you mail this letter out for me? Mm-hmm. Is, is what I believe. Right. So, so it's, they could easily drive to a blue box somewhere and drop it in the box. That's what I'm saying. I think, um, you know, and you would think that possibly they would do that to throw them off the scent. But I, I would also wonder 
where is this in location to not only the car and the mall they went missing from, but where is it in location to Houston, Texas? Is it on the way or is it not on the way? Neither of them would be on the way. Right. So So they would both be east of Fort Worth. Like I said. Or no, no, no. I I lied. West of Fort Worth. Yeah. And I I really just think this, this letter in general is just a huge red flag that something really bad has happened. Interestingly enough, Captain, I did find one article that states that the letter was later, obviously much later, tested for DNA or touch DNA, and the test results come back that it did not match the girls or anyone else in their database. All right, for our old episodes, you should check us out on the Stitcher app. All of our old episodes are free, and we do a weekly bonus show called Off the Record, and if you haven't listened to it lately, it's been heating up. This week, we talked more about the West Memphis 3 case, a couple details in that case, and we actually got into a little bit of the Adnan Syed case as well, and you can find that on Stitcher Premium. All right, we will see everybody back here in the garage tomorrow for the continued story of the missing Fort Worth Trio. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. you are bpms high sweat dripping body moving tongue panting you're working hard real hard and you're thirsty you need vitamins nutrients for peak performance and energy and your plants do too Aw, i mean just look at the little guy water soluble plant food from miracle grow is full of essential nutrients just a little scoop into your watering can and boom instant feeding and bigger more beautiful plants it's kind of like a sports drink for your plants you may have to suffer from heat but your plants do not